Hello, welcome to Women in Action. And today in this episode, we are going to be talking to Rebecca Weber. And I am so, so excited. Rebecca is a freelance journalist, a writing coach, and the host of the podcast, Writing Coach Podcast. And she has covered travel, social justice, the environment, the arts, and so many different other topics on CNN, travel, uh, USA uh, Today, the New York Times, Dwell, and many other publications. And her clients um, have been into broken into the um, New York Times, the Guardian, Bustle, uh, National Geographic, the Washington Post, um, so many other publications. And I've left a little bio in the description that you can read. So uh, currently, Rebecca is living in Cape Town in the Penguin Colony in South Africa. So um, welcome, Rebecca. So pleased to see you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, um, tell me a little bit about uh, where you live, because I'm fascinated. That's a little, that's uh, something new. Yeah, so I'm 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 in Cape Town. Um, if for anybody who's familiar, I'm sort of right near the University of Cape Town, which is not far from the penguins, and I do get to see them. There's just sort of a wild colony that lives nearby, and <laughs> anyone could go out and get close to them. They recommend that you don't get too close, but yeah, it's a it's a beautiful spot. It's nice and warm here today. Lovely. And how how long have you been living there? Oh, long time. I originally came um, in the mid nineties. Well, Mandela was president and then I went back to the States. You can probably hear that's where I come from originally. I went back for a while and um, lived in Washington for a while, Washington, D.C. And then I moved back here uh, 2008 or so. So it's been it's been quite a while over over the yeah. years. Yeah. So what what made you want to move from the States to South Africa? Oh, that original move was just it was the most interesting place in the whole world. Like I had missed the Berlin Wall coming down. It was just like, I really want to see transformation, see what's going on. Originally, I intended to stay for one year, but it's a very interesting place. And I sort of got hooked in. Yeah. Oh, well, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. And uh, today, I just wanted to talk about imposter syndrome, because I've come across speech therapists uh, and other coaches who sometimes think, you know, what they know is not good enough or they're not good enough or um you know they may need a qualification or something like that so I know you've got some tips that would um help us along the way could you shed some light on that yeah sure well I mean I will say that you know a lot of the work that I do when I'm working with people who come to me as a writing coach is that this winds up being one of the really big things. Oftentimes people start off saying that they want help with some kind of external skills. And we can certainly get into talking about, you know, um, for people who are trying to put together their website or write emails or somehow put their stories together for, for the world to know about the kind of work that they're doing as therapists. Oftentimes that's what they focus on. But then this imposter syndrome flares up. Very often it's already been present in some other aspect of their life. And then it comes up. Um, with with the writing in particular. So I just say that because even those people writing for those big fancy publications, like you mentioned, they have it too. Like it, it happens at, at all levels. And I think the first thing that's really useful or important to notice is that 
look, this isn't actually true for everyone in the world, but I'm guessing it's probably true for everyone listening to this is that you're not an imposter. Like you personally not an imposter. I'm not an imposter. Like the people listening to this aren't imposters. You're not actually an imposter. Like you're a person that has imposter syndrome. And, and just to distinguish that, like people listening to this are not, I'm almost sure, falsifying details about themselves. Like they're not putting up on their website that they have a you know, pretending that they have a credential that they didn't actually earn. They're not fabricating testimonials. They're not taking things out of context and making up stats. They're not doing that sort of disinformation or misinformation. I mean, there are imposters who do that, right? But that it's, I think it's an important distinction to to recognize that and say, oh, this isn't actually intrinsic to who I am. And to start to shed some light on, you know, if we were to fact check this, like, are you actually an imposter? Yeah. The reality is probably not. I mean, like I've, I had one uh, lady who said to me, well, uh, I said, oh, could you do a course on working in schools? Because you've been doing it for like 15 years. So, you, you know, I would see, see you as an expert. And she said, oh, no, 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 I'm not an expert because um, I haven't devised a certain technique, you know, like a unique mm -hmm. technique that I could um, teach people on. I, mm -hmm. I haven't got this technique sort of... Um, I don't know, sort of justified in front of uh, a PhD um, uh, jury or something like that. So, um, do you think do you think that is valid? Well, I think that um, it's valid in the sense that if that person is really thinking that, then they are probably going to feel like they're not really able to to talk on that, right? If you tell yourself, "I'm not an expert," especially if you've been telling that to yourself again and again, and if perhaps even other people in your worlds consciously or unconscious, I'm sorry, not consciously, like sort of um, actually um, explicitly or implicitly are giving you those messages, then when somebody says, hey, I do see you as an expert, it's e if, if, you know, you were saying it, I see you as an expert. And she's saying, but I've heard a hundred or a thousand times that I'm not. And so it does make sense that then the response would be that they don't feel like one, right? And I think that that's actually like sort of segues into that, the second thing, beyond just recognizing that you're not actually an imposter, that you're not actually pretending to be somebody that you're not, that just learning to identify your thoughts that you have that discount who you are and what you've done is really important because those thoughts will create the feelings and they will create that that disconnect or that um that feeling of misalignment, right? So in, in her case, you know, I'm not an expert, but it could also, it could sound as explicit as I'm an imposter, I'm a fake, I'm a phony, I feel like a fraud, something like that. But I think also a lot of times it's much more subtle. Like I did this, but that doesn't count. So I don't know, she said, well, I do have these years of experience, but I don't have this one particular credential, right? She's sort of dismissing the 15 years of experience, which most of us would say, that's probably more important than the credential, right? That real, exactly. that real I mean, experience. Especially, you know, some people say, well, you only have to have like that 10% edge, you know. Um, and mm -hmm. if I was a newly qualified speech therapist coming into a school, um, I would look up to someone like that with 15 years experience and think, well, how do I manage this caseload? And how, how am I going to divide all these children into different groups or, you know, I'll prioritize them. And, you know, it, it becomes overwhelming for someone who's new. And yet someone who's got 15 years, they, they just take it for granted that they, they know how to do it. Yeah, it's really interesting because on one level, that person can recognize, yeah, what have you been doing for the last 15 years? I've been working at this school. I do have a lot of hours logged, right? At one level, they recognize it, but somehow they're still saying it doesn't count for this one reason. Sometimes people will attribute it to luck or to, you know, like it somehow was out of their control. Um, and that 
that aspect of sort of discounting the thing that you factually know is accurate, it becomes a practice. It becomes like a habitual way of thinking so that every time some other instance comes up, we also say, but this doesn't count and this doesn't count because it doesn't feed into our main narrative that I'm not an expert, that I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah. But, and yeah, it just sort of becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy if it's if it's not checked. But that's the thing is like if we can start to sort of break and hold on. Um, again, as I said, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's as explicit as these really mean thoughts like you're a phony, you're a fraud, you don't know what you're doing. And sometimes it's so much more subtle. And the subtle ones I think can really be hard to recognize. That's why I say like that. I think the yeah, but is a really good indicator. <laughs> if you hear yourself saying that in your head or out loud, you can sort of take a step back and be like, is that actually just imposter syndrome? Is that my inability to really own what it is I've done? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So so the first thing is to sort of like to really check yourself whether you are being uh, an imposter, mm -hmm. uh, which most of us aren't. Uh, the second thing you said was to start questioning it, really, to, uh, yeah, to... Uh, questioning those thoughts like first just like listening for them you know so it might be like in the in the case of like somebody who's got all this experience as a speech therapist and now it's time to let's say write their profile or to put up a case study and they might say well i'm not a writer or i'm not a real writer or it's not my story to tell right or nobody's going to read this anyway like there's so many different variations that we yeah. can sort of discount and say like this isn't that important yeah um, or, or even that you know if i do write it down will it be good enough for uh, the New York Times or the Guardian or whatever <laughs> publication it is, yeah. will the will the editor think it is good enough? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, what like I might write it, and in, and then even I mean I can tell you is that like I've worked with so many people who write for those top tier publications, and some of them are still in this. Like, well, I did publish in the Guardian but they're not going to hire me again. Or they did publish me a few times, but I don't know if it'll happen again, right? Like, so that it, if you have that habitual way of thinking, the external circumstances don't change the way that you're thinking about things. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, I mean, um, I've often thought about actually writing in, in one mm -hmm. of those publications and I've held myself back. But when I think mm -hmm. about, um, you know, one of the cases that I dealt with, which was really difficult just before, co it was before COVID, five years before COVID. And mm -hmm. um, I had a, a client who um, was in Italy. I was here in the UK. He had to pass five oral exams and he had no means of communicating. He had, mm -hmm. um, he didn't have a communication aid. He didn't have any symbols. He didn't have any uh, signs in place. Um, he, you know, and yet he had to do these presentations on um, Picasso and World War One and uh, Farewell to Arms. And yet he had an intellectual level of a four year old and he mm. was you know, about to leave school. And I managed to get him to pass those exams. Now, mm. when I, I think when I think of that, I think, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just how it is, really. That's my job. Um, and I almost belittle it. Mm -hmm. um, but when I tell it to someone else, I think, how did you do that remotely? You know? um, my question is, how did you do that at all? <laughs> like, I'm just like, wow, like, that's amazing. But to, to do it remotely is this whole other level. I mean, from the outside, can you can you imagine how it sounds to me who doesn't have particular knowledge of how amazing it is you helped were able to help this person in this way? 
<laughs> yeah, I know, but I mean, I think I, I think I'm guilty just as anyone and all the other speech therapists who think, well, it's just part of my job. That's what I needed to, to do, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and yet I gave him a voice, and you know, I wasn't even there in the exam room, and his um, dad took a, vo- a video of the whole, mm-hmm. you know, the examiners in place, and no one was allowed to. Um, help mm-hmm. him with the PowerPoint presentation. He had mm-hmm. to manage the PowerPoint presentation and press the mm-hmm. right buttons to explain each slide on the PowerPoint presentation. And um, and then when he finished all his five presentations, um, he stood up and he's quite a big lad, you know, he's about six foot two. Um, and he just put his hands up like that, you know. And when I saw the video, I thought, wow, he did it. I wish I was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that in your story, the way that you tell it, I, I hear and then one of the things you said was I gave him a voice. And so that you, you're sort of having these contradictory things, right? The one level, like the sort of self-deprecating, like this is just my job. And like, it is your job. That is your skill set. That doesn't mean that it's not valid or, or worthy of being told. And so sometimes we can sort of find another thought that we also think that is true, that is accurate, that is just more helpful for us to focus on, right? So I gave him a voice might be a more helpful way for you if you were going to be writing about about him not to focus on but this is just my job and I didn't do anything special to think about look I'm able to give him a voice other people reading this might be able to give voices to their clients somebody reading this might I might be able to help them get their voice you know whatever it is how and and I think that that's a super important point like of the uh in terms of writing in particular is that other people very often when they hear somebody else's story, that's a pa- part of the power of storytelling is that they're inspired and they can also start to see themselves in that story, either identify with you or with the boy or probably with their parents. There's probably a lot of other people that are involved in that story as well. Yes, yes, definitely. You know, and that story actually is bigger than just passing five exams because um, I he ended up being a quite a long-term client as well. Um, mm-hmm. And through that process, he um he lost his mother um mm. who was very very um influential in the in the whole process of doing these exams and she got me over to italy to train the staff and the peers on how to communicate with him um for 3 days so i went over there did that training and then um a few months later about no about a year later he she actually passed away she had cancer mm-hmm. And uh, he had a breakdown. And again, my role changed as Mm -hmm. a speech therapist because I got to know the whole family. Mm -hmm. And it's a story I don't tell very often because, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to keep that professional distance, don't we? Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe there's some stories as therapists we don't want to tell because Mm -hmm. we think we, well, I know I felt a bit ashamed that I maybe I got to know the family a bit too much, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because he you know he he had ended up having a breakdown and uh uh my husband and i happened to be in uh, celebrating our 25th anniversary then um so this was about five years ago um we we were in italy and we went to the psychiatric ward and visited him because we knew that you know he was he was having a lot of problems with the loss mm-hmm. of his mother again that's a different story but is it a valid story to tell as a speech therapist? Um, you know, sometimes we kind of brush these things aside and think, oh, that doesn't sound very professional. Um, mm-hmm. We won't tell that story. 
It sounds very human. It sounds very real. Mm. You know, I think it's the kind of, uh, there's a certain amount of vulnerability in that. Um, the family's vulnerability, your own professional concerns. And I think that those are the kind of things that a lot of people really relate to are, oh, she kind of understands. Like they, they may they may have a story that's very, very different in terms of the specific details than the one you just described. But that thing about did I get too close or feeling ashamed of something that they did that they thought was the right thing or the best decision at the time and you sort of overthink it afterward mm -hmm. and don't want to share it with anyone because you feel ashamed. We don't usually want to share <laughs> when we're feeling ashamed. And to be able to hear somebody else and see, recognize like, wow, they did all of these things and maybe it wasn't 100% perfect. Maybe they were humans and there were some flaws in the plan and yet the overall outcomes were were clearly positive. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's a good point. So um, telling her, so, so what would be your third tip then? Yeah, so my third tip is actually probably like in contrast to advice of anybody else <laughs> for Googling what are, what are imposter syndrome tips i say don't fake it till you make it right some people will say that's what you should do i say that it's what it's not to do because if you're already concerned if you already have this concern that you're coming across as a phony or you're inauthentic or however it is you call it i think intentionally pretending to be somebody you're not is not going to change the way that you think about yourself so i really don't think that it's actually helpful i'm not saying that there aren't some things that you could do to draw on courage and do the thing that's difficult. I mean, sometimes we are scared or uncomfortable or, or are unsure of ourselves, but I'd rather see you draw on courage or um, clarity of purpose or something else like that to get yourself through and say, like, I am still being as true to myself as I can be. I'm not pretending to be somebody else because if we pretend to be somebody else and sort of act like somebody else in a way that feels even more inauthentic, it doesn't. It might get us through an individual day or event or something like that or something that we have to write, but it doesn't it doesn't break down the imposter syndrome anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Because, I mean, there is a balance, though, isn't it? Sometimes you feel like you do have to step out of your comfort zone. I mean, mm -hmm. to be honest, coming here live, um, yeah. <laughs> we're in Facebook, we're in LinkedIn, we're in YouTube all at the same time. Um, it you know you think oh I can't edit it later you know well I could but you know it, it'd be pointless because we're doing it live now so um and you do have to kind of just step out and it's a way of telling the world this is what I do you, you I mean you um get it get help people to get into publications mm -hmm. so if you didn't do if you didn't step out of your comfort zone and come on here and tell us about it then um we wouldn't know would we yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that you are feeling the fear and sort of doing it anyway. And it sounds like maybe it's like tiered practice steps. I mean, I know you had a bunch of options about which are the best social media outlets and you can play around with that on different episodes. You could do different ones. It doesn't mean that you have to, I mean, do you feel that it's, that you're faking it in some way to be here or is it just a little bit like makes you a little bit nervous? Yeah, it just it just makes me a bit nervous, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I think sometimes uh, when you do a podcast, you think, oh, but I'm not, you know, so and so like I'm not Gabby Bernstein, you know, I'm not, you know, um, Tony Robbins, you know, whoever's mm -hmm. you know the big names that are doing podcasts. I'm just little old Beth, you know. <laughs> so um, yeah. 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 And I think that that's normal to have the nerves, right? I mean, especially when we're doing something that's so 
is out there, right? Of sort of like actually doing the podcast, writing the blog post, sending the email, sometimes just like writing the tweet, whatever it is of sort of putting oneself out there on social media. I think, you know, not too long ago, those would have been real life encounters or, you know, at least telephone, like there was something a little bit more, um, in some ways scarier, in some ways less scary, I guess. Um, but I think that, um, for, for this in particular, I mean, like being able to do the thing while feeling the fear and recognize, hey, I've got some doubts about this. I have some fears about this, but I also came out on the other side. Okay. That gives us a little bit more clarity next time. Like, hey, maybe I shouldn't pay attention to the doubt. Maybe I don't want the yeah. doubt to actually be making the decisions. You obviously didn't let the doubt <laughs> or nervousness or however you phrase it, like to make your decision to not do it live. Yeah. And you're still able to 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 move forward and have a good have a good show and yeah yeah that's great so what would be your fourth tip then yeah so the fourth one is really geared um to the writing process specifically and this is a thing that I think that most full-time professional writers do know we also have to remind it to ourselves (laughs) I often remind it to my clients, but I think that for people who aren't full-time professional writers, they may have heard it once or twice, but they haven't really, um, it's not like sort of part of their, their core, their DNA. And that is that drafts, first drafts are just drafts. Like they are not any good and they're not supposed to be any good. And I think that very often when I'm writing a draft, like my only agenda really is to just get some words onto the screen. Like that's what I'm after and that's all I need to do. And I know that I will come back afterwards and rewrite it and edit it and make it better. Um, not oh, in every single situation. Like sometimes I write a short email and I just set it off as it is. But I think that very often people have this expectation that if I work hard, if I'm serious or I'm in the right frame of mind or something, or if I'm smart enough or I have the right things to say, or if I'm good at this, the first draft is going to be perfect. It's going to be amazing. And then it's not. And that's then that comes in this disconnect. Well, see, I'm not even a good writer. Right. Like I wasn't able to write it to write it well. And so I think that shifting that expectation allow like just knowing like the first draft isn't going to be very good. I just need to get it done. It's an important step of clearing my thoughts and being able to say this first paragraph has got to go. <laughs> just no yeah. good. But I can't do that until it's until it's there on the page or on the screen. Or- That's a good point. You just you, sometimes you just have to do it and then you can can refine it and not mm-hmm. feel like you have to be, a, a you know, it, a perfectionist in first draft. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And what would your final point be? Yeah. So the the final one is that, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but that you can't actually wait till things are different later on to deal with imposter syndrome. I mean, you can, you can just sort of let it keep running. But the the, the sort of myth that once I achieve X, once I maybe that that um, therapist gets her 16th year, her 20th year in the classroom or get the PhD or get the, you know, the piece published or write their book or whatever. Once I get that thing, then I'll feel better about myself. It doesn't work that way. And not only does the external thing not make you feel better, it actually often can amplify. Because if you can imagine if you're writing for, let's say like you write a Facebook post that is just for a small, like, you know, sort of therapist community and you feel very self-conscious and feel like you got it wrong. Da, da, da. Imagine what happens when then that goes into the, you write something else or that same thing gets printed in a journal that goes out to everybody in the field or yeah. goes into a mainstream publication. Then if you felt exposed to the small group, you're going to feel 10x the exposure, feel like more of a phony 
when it when it gets out there, especially that one about the expert, like now I'm being called the expert and I don't feel like an expert. So yeah. the thing there is that you want to start to deal with it now, like even today and resolve it on its own terms. It's not actually based on whether you are in your first year of practice or your 15th year. It's really how how it is that you talk to yourself and how how you allow yourself to um, tell yourself what is going on. Those thoughts, again, are going to, you know, fuel yeah. your feelings and yeah so well, i mean do you have any sort of magic um i know i i, I use journaling and mm -hmm. i have like affirmation cards or you know like a little box <clears throat> card, something just to mm -hmm. get me going or sometimes it's just like you know when i feel overwhelmed it's like right i'm just going to take some time out you know mm -hmm. and yeah. um, just have a bit of time where i'll just do um, I like I like do doodling and doing art and just doing mm -hmm. something creative other than work. Is there any kind of things that you do um, to help you, you know, overcome this mindset issue? Yeah. Well, I think all those things you just gave are great examples of knowing yourself, knowing what works for you. And those are things that tend to work for so many of us, right? We we do all tend to have this sort of similar conditioning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think with journaling, it's really interesting because this is sort of something that looks like writing. There's so many things where we're, you know, typing or moving our pen and it looks like writing, but they have different sort of cognitive experiences and different functions. And I think with journaling, if you were doing just say like a, a session of journaling where you're just writing, for example, like sort of like a free write to just sort of empty your head, you're not necessarily trying to script it or to write a story per se, but just sort of to get like let's just sort of see what comes out that can be a really useful thing to then go back and see what am I actually thinking like when I'm not filtering it what comes up and yeah. very often that can be when we start to see oh here's a thought that no wonder I'm not feeling so good if I'm telling myself this is this is what I'm thinking this is something that that is going to you know um naturally lead towards feeling um, misaligned or discouraged or nervous or scared or overwhelmed or, you know, whatever it is. And to be able to also then see, are there some other thoughts that I'm thinking that are accurate? Like we're still fact checking them. Like this should still be true, but that lead to a feeling that is much more useful for me. Like, I don't think imposter syndrome is a useful dynamic. It's just sort of something we can observe and say, like, let's, let's sort of work with this. So um, I don't know what you mean by affirmations exactly. I don't, I don't do personally, I don't find like sort of aspirational affirmations. Like this is who I want to be like sort of telling myself that hasn't happened yet mm. as if it's in the future. Like, I don't find that useful because like my BS meter is just like, that's not true. <laughs> so it sort of like shuts down. Um, yeah. But I might find something like when you said I gave him a voice, like that could be true. That could be a thing that you might just be wanting to remind yourself of, intentionally remind yourself again and again. If you found that in your journal, be like, that could be something I could either write about again and again in my journal or put that on a card, put that on your screensaver, find a time during the day that you repeat it to yourself so that it becomes one of the sort of default programs as opposed to the defaults of that was a fluke. That doesn't count. Yeah. I'm not an expert. I'm not for real. I'm not a writer. I'm not a good writer. All those, mm -hmm. all those kind of things. Yeah. So I know that you've got um, a course, haven't you, on your website? And I've just put mm -hmm. the website here link. Um, you can go to RebeccaLWeber.com. Is that right? Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, so it's on the screen. Um, and what what sort of things does your course take people who are not writers as such? Mm -hmm. What does it take them through? 
Yeah. So the, the course is super niche, like this freelance writer bootcamp program. We really focus on pitching article ideas to publications and we take people through all that it entails in terms of identifying ideal publications, writing up story ideas, finding story ideas, writing them up, or sorry, excuse me, finding story ideas and just pitching them. This is exactly, I just basically said exactly what we don't do. We don't write the whole story up and send it off. Most publications just work with a small, short pitch. Yeah. And in addition to all of those sort of external things that we need to do, we also work on the mindset. Imposter syndrome is a big thing that comes up. Um, most people have a lot of drama around, like I I know what to do, but I see myself not doing it or not wanting to do it or doing it, but not feeling good about it. And we also want yeah. people to be able to, um, maybe not always, it doesn't have to always be fun. We're not always writing about fun things, but to at least um, sort of help people make better decisions so they can move through the process more quickly and make sure that, like, as you said, like give a voice to the stories that, that you want to tell and other people are going to benefit from reading. Yeah. So having, um, having, a presence in publication um, is is it different from having a, a presence online? Would you say? Would it does it have an impact on your business? Um, well, I think that for most publications, I mean, there are a few that are really just still print, but almost every publication has a print. Like sort of magazine or newspaper is also online. So it seems like pretty much everything is in the digital sphere at, at some yeah. level, and I think that. If we compare it to, say, uh, posting on social media, I mean, some people have massive reaches, right, that they put something on their Facebook or their LinkedIn and 100,000 people see it. Most of us, that doesn't happen. Most of us, it's sort of, you know, a small group of colleagues and some friends or family that see it. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so that if you're writing for a publication, it doesn't necessarily have to be big, but it's either geared towards the people that you most want to reach. Sometimes it's niche. Uh, yeah. or very specialized. And sometimes we want to reach a really big audience. It isn't otherwise, like in this case with, you know, with, um, with, with, with speech therapy, that the readers of say the guardian aren't necessarily reading articles about that every single day. And so that you might say like, sometimes I actually want to write for this mainstream audience. And that can ironically also coming back to the, like the expertise that sometimes that can be a signaler of this is a person who has expertise. They can, you can sort of help to establish that. That can be something that's useful then to put the link to that piece in your social media or on your website or whenever people you do start meeting people and connect with them as a way to um, share your ideas in a, in a different kind of way, in a way that has in the short term, I think ha does have larger reach. And, you know, for also for people who are writing books, it can also be like a, a way to easily sort of magnify the the platform that you have either at the early stage where you're working on a book proposal and trying to if you're going a traditional route show to the the publishers like I already am able to connect with these audiences mm -hmm. or if you're self-publishing to be able to actually start build building those those audiences and connect with people so that they'll they'll start hearing your message and spreading the word and then buy your book when it comes out yeah um well I'm I'm really excited that you've um you know said that you do a, a master class inside uh, maven business haven and um we'll we'll talk about um that um afterwards but it's is it something that um what would you feel how would you describe that master class 
Yeah, so the masterclass will be like a really tiny version <laughs> in some ways yeah. of what the full boot camp um, program is so that we'll go over some of the essentials and some of the basics that I think will be most relevant to your audience in terms of being able to pitch story ideas and get a sense of how how things work overall. I think oftentimes journalism is sort of this mysterious thing from the outside. And um, once you sort of start to get a handle about how it works, it's not, it's not as complicated or as... Um, uh, overwhelming as it might other, otherwise seem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. So, um, uh, thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on Women in Action podcast. And I look forward to um, seeing seeing you in the future um, inside Maven as well, just to um, share that. And whilst we're on the topic of Maven Business Haven. I just wanted everyone to know that we've got a free masterclass here, uh, free goal planner, sorry, uh, inside Maven Business Haven. So if you grab the freebie, um, you'll be able to start planning your annual, your quarterly, your monthly um, goals uh, and not just sort of limit it to just the year. Um, because I think sometimes as therapists, we just think about our clients and all the goals that we have for them. But what about our business, our um, our life, our holiday goals, our personal goals? Um, we need to have somewhere to put that all down. So if you are if you want to grab that, then head over to mavenbusinesshaven.com. So thank you very much, uh, Rebecca, for coming um, today. And I look forward to seeing you again. Take well, care. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity.